record on this computer. Rest. All right, so we are in our class tonight. Thank you all for being here. Tonight we're going to pick up and we're going to begin or continue and find and finish our series on urban apologetics, providing apologetic, defending the faith and giving uh, competent biblical answers to people regarding issues that uh, affect and impact people in urban communities. Um, things like, is Christianity the white man's religion, slavery and the Bible? Subjects like those are things that deal in the urban context as it pertains to apologetics. Again, apologetics is really rooted in 1 Peter 3 and 15, which talks to us about always being ready to give a defense for any man that asks of us uh, for the hope that lies within us, but doing so um, with meekness and fear, doing so and being with gentle, uh, being gentle in our response um, to them as well. And so last week we started. Um, but we ended with uh, this particular conversation with people like Dr. Umar Johnson, who are very influential. Him, Brother Polite, we looked at the video from him last week. And the assignment that we gave to you was to examine the Tyree Nichols situation and just think about how you would provide an apologetic response or a preaching response to people that have um, an issue or they're wondering about how to reconcile the character of God and the words that are contained in scripture with what we see in the evil in this particular day. Um, so some of these issues that we hear and impact us in our community are, are very contextualized to people of color and people who are oppressed. Um, and so this is what urban apologetics really deals with. So tonight I wanted to start here and Christopher Brooks, if you have not, um, I didn't bring his book with me, um, but he was the first person to write a book on urban apologetics. And it is absolutely phenomenal. So if you are looking for a book recommendation, I would highly recommend starting with Christopher Brooks' uh, book on urban apologetics. Um, Evans, if you have it, you can hold it up for everybody. Um, but it is, it's a short book, but it is power packed and it is, it will really help you on your journey. And then I cannot um, go any further without recommending Pastor Eric Mason's um, work, Urban Apologetics as well. Both of those are uh, absolutely phenomenal works um, and everything and definitely something that you should have in your library. So please go cop those. Um, but he says here, he says, if we cannot give an authentic and articulate response to today's challenges, non-Christians will be left to assume it is because the gospel lacks a sufficient solution for what ails humanity. How many of you all have heard something, an accusation along those lines that if you can't give us a biblical answer, then maybe the Bible doesn't have answers. And if you can't give us an authentic answer, we don't want to hear, oh, just preach the gospel. Um, and Evans is holding up uh, Christopher Brooks's book. Um, the, the, for those of you that can see it, um, yeah, that, that's it right there. So, um, but he's absolutely correct in his assessment here. Um, I, I'm not sure if it's in my slide. So I wanted, um, it was Karen Van Balen that says that black religious identity cults are the unpaid bills of the church. How many of you all have seen um, the movie Malcolm X by a show of hands or a thumbs up and everything? Do you remember there was a scene um, in Malcolm X where he's standing out in the street and he's preaching to the people that are coming outside of church? And you have all of these street preachers that are out there and they're preaching and he's out there telling them, look at this, you know, spent all of this time in there praying to a white Jesus, you know, spent all of this time in there. And where is Jesus? What has he done? And he's challenging these Christians as they come out of church. And what does every one of the Christians do? They walk right by. 
Nobody takes the time to engage with him. And maybe that wouldn't have been the wisest thing. But if, if from looking at it in the movie, it was almost as if they were scared to engage in dialogue with him because they didn't have answers. So how do we, and I think over time, from seeing stuff like that and not being, or, or being apprehensive or, um, I would say, I wouldn't say scared, but being a little bit apprehensive to engage with people like that, it can give people in the seats the impression that maybe we don't have answers. Maybe we don't have anything to say. So all of us should take it and, and consider it our responsibility to make sure that we're able to give authentic and articulate responses to the challenges that face us today. And that was the purpose of the assignment. And from what I've read, you all have done thus far an incredible job. So why urban apologetics? Some people will say, we'll just preach the gospel. It doesn't need to be urban apologetics. Well, let's look at this. So shallow scholarship and superficial references to the pain of injustice, religious contenders to Christianity and intellectual hurdles to the gospel found in our inner cities will only do harm. What is that saying? Is that there are some obstacles that will not allow people to receive the gospel because of their perception of what Christianity is. For an instance, and we've talked about this several times, if you believe the lie that Christianity was only given to us in oppression by our um, by slave masters, then why would you want to serve a God that didn't have any, that you know, that was okay with the Bible being used as a weapon against Black people? If you look into the Bible and people are not, this is why we did hermeneutics first. If you're looking into the scriptures and you think that all black people are cursed because of the curse of Ham, and you never really looked into that to see what it says, then that's going to be a hurdle or an obstacle to that person receiving the gospel. So we can't just say preach the gospel without being willing to engage and removing those barriers that people have in their minds because of false teachers. That is something that all of us bear the responsibility of doing. And he says, by honoring the seriousness of these practical and philosophical oppositions to our faith, we recognize the inherent dignity of the objectors themselves. Some people have legitimate concerns because of things that they have heard. Everyone was not as fortunate and gracious as many of us to grow up in the church under good sound teaching. And so consider that some people who hear challenges to the faith that impact them, for them, that challenge is very real. It is absolutely valid. And we cannot dismiss or desensitize ourselves to something that is really important to someone else. Is this making sense to everyone? All right, good, good, because I, I want to make sure that you all are following it. And if you have a comment or something, by all means, feel free to jump in. But there are some people who have legitimate concerns. And when they're in our community, um, if because I heard people talking about how slaves were giving the slave Bible and, 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 and they were books removed out of the Bible. Some people do not know how to answer those questions. And until they have those answers um, sufficiently, you know, um, answered for them, it prevents them from receiving the true gospel. And so all of us should take that challenge and be willing to engage in that in that conversation. So he continues and says, urban, suburban, and rural communities all desperately need the same grace of the gospel. But the uniqueness of urban beauty and brokenness is found in its intensity, diversity, and fluidity. Urban communities carry with them a significant amount of potential for influencing the world for Christ if they are liberated by the gospel. There is a uniqueness to the issues that we face that don't make it better or worse than anyone else, but it's just different. It's unique. Um, it's distinct. 
And so we want to be prepared to answer the unique challenges that face our community. Are there any questions um, so far? All right, good stuff. So he continues, um, we continue with this, um, the notion of just preach the gospel. Um, a lot of times you will hear this coming from predominantly white um, religious institutions and preachers who will say, oh, well, we don't need a social gospel or we don't need um, social justice or anything. Just preach the Bible and it'll be OK. And if the church takes the indifferent path of an insulated fundamentalism that refuses to acknowledge, let alone engage the culture by providing Christ-centered solutions to these problems, then we will lose the little credibility that remains for us within the African-American community. What does that mean? It means if you won't acknowledge the legitimate concerns that people have, and we desensitize ourselves to them as if these unique um, things that we face are not there, then we'll lose credibility. If the people in the world don't see the church actively out fighting against injustice, if we don't hear them speaking out against injustice, whether it is black, brown, white, um, Puerto Rican, Asian, Latino, LGBT, no matter what is happening, LGBT people, just they are people who are made in the image of God, just like everybody else. And if they are being oppressed, if they are being discriminated against, then we have the responsibility to make sure that all image bearers of God are receiving justice. No one in this world that is made in the image of God should be allowed to be oppressed for any particular reason. And the church sits back and says, oh, we're not going to do anything about it simply because they're not Christians. This is not just a uh, Christian um, issue. This is a biblical issue that faces all people who are made in God's image. Does that make sense to everyone? Amen. All right. So the church can't just sit back. We need to be active and on the front lines. And the Bible does discuss these issues. If we have an honest reading of the New Testament, it reveals that the community dealt head on with issues of race, equality, justice, sexuality, money, and economics. Not surprisingly, over two thirds of the writings of the apostles were intended to lay out an ethical framework for wisely advising Christians on how to properly address these concerns in society in a way that was edifying to the community and pleasing to God. So here's an opportunity. We're going to get the little Q&A and, and some interaction. Go ahead and unmute your mics. And I want somebody to tell me, whether it's in your paper or just something that you know, where in the Bible does is one of these issues addressed, whether it's sexuality, justice, equality, um, racial issues, uh, economic issues. Give me an example in scripture where the Bible speaks to one of these particular concerns. Anybody? Mike. Okay, and Micah, all right, uh, do you, can you give me the actual scripture, scripture reference, Kathy, or um, kind of speak to it? Uh, no. Uh. <laughs> somebody, somebody help her out, and we'll come back. <laughs> Boy, this is why I love y'all. Somebody help her out. Micah 6, 8? Yes, that's it. Read it for us. Okay, I will. <laughs> I got you. It's it says here. You you got it. I don't, I don't want to rush you. Um, do justice, love mm -hmm. mercy, and walk humbly with God. Okay. Did you notice? What do you notice about each one of those phrases? Watch what it says. Um, do justice. What was it again? Uh, Sister Kathy. Okay. 
Okay. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? So let's stop right there. He has told you, each one of you, what is good and what the Lord recommends for you. Is that what it said? Requires. It said, it, said, it has told you what the Lord suggests for you. Requires. Okay, so it is telling us what the Lord requires of us. And then what does it say from there? To act justly. Uh-huh. And to love mercy. Okay. And to walk humbly with your God. I love it. To act, to walk, and to, uh, to what was it? To act, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. Verbs. So this is not something that we just talk about. God requires of us some action to take place. Now, um, this is something that I saw across most people's papers. The interpretive process that we talked about the first two weeks. What is step one in any time we're looking at a scripture? What's the first thing that we're supposed to do? Content. Content. Who, what, when, where? Say again. Who, what, when, where? Right. Huh? The giving the five W's. Right. And there was a four-step process. Remember the town and the bridge and the water. What was step one in the interpretive process? Anybody remember? Where there was a where who he was what town were they in when it was writing that scripture? I Very listen. good. Say, well, the timeless principle, step number three, but Deontay was right on it, all right? It was examining the text in their town, which means we would want to know what prompted God to inspire Micah or Mika to write these words. If he's telling them to act justly, then that means that somebody was not acting justly. Somebody was not loving faithfulness or walking with their God. And so in your papers, a lot of people use this scripture, Isaiah 117, um, and several other good ones, but then they went right on to talking about justice. But one of the things that it is really good practice to do in your sermons or to just do in your study is find out why did God say that to that group of people? What was going on in their world that required God or that God chose to speak to them and say those words? Does everybody understand? Mm -hmm. right, very good. So number two, that was a good one. So Micah uh, six and eight, give me another scripture or uh, occasion in the Bible where God talked about one of these urban issues. I was going to say Isaiah 117. Okay, Evans was going to say Isaiah 117. All right, tell us about that. Yeah, one, but sir. you mentioned it already. Yeah, it says okay. uh, learn. Here's God, you know, speaking to the people of uh, Jerusalem and just telling them, look, learn to do what is good, uh, pursue justice. Um, Correct the oppressor, defend the rights of the fatherless, and plead the widow's cause. That's right. Learn to do what is good. Pursue justice. Chase after it. Find it. Pursue justice. I love the intentional language that is used in scripture. So again, I think three or four people of, of the papers that I've read use that scripture, but nobody answered the question of what was going on that was so bad that in the very first chapter of the, what, 60-something um, chapters, the 66 chapters in Isaiah, God says, let me start off Isaiah by telling people, hey, look, you need to learn to do justice. So again, looking and finding out what did the text say in their town? All right, one more. Somebody give me something in the New Testament. What's an example in the New Testament where God dealt with an issue that concerned race, justice, equality, et cetera, et cetera? Um, I would say in the book of Romans, when the Apostle Paul was um, 
basically saying there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The Jews okay. are trying to make the Gentiles, you know, conform, I guess, to their way of religion. Very good. Very good. So that happened not only in Romans, but at the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, the Jews were trying to make the Gentile converts to Christianity conform to the Jewish way of worship. And Paul had to let them know, like, no, we're not going to try to make them like us. We are going to allow them their ethnic distinction um, and everything, but we're not going to try to make them conform to our way of worship um, and be like us. Another example would be Acts 6, where the deacons were actually um, in there and the Gentile or the um, the people in there were being mistreated. Um, uh, man, I'm, I'm trying to th think of it. I'm, I'm going to go to it real quick. Um Yes, the Hellenistic Jews and everything and their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. And so, you know, the apostles came in there. And so what they did, when you look at the names of the people that they were um, that they put in charge, they put the, uh, the names of the people that they selected were from the oppressed people, the people that were being neglected. They took from them and put them in charge of the daily distribution. So again, the Bible deals with these issues and it is not silent on issues of race, justice, and equality. And so we want to make sure that we're able to utilize scripture in context to be able to speak to those issues in the present day. Uh, Jermaine, you had a, a comment or a question, sir? Um, I was just thinking what's like the the Good Samaritan, the Good Samaritan, excuse me, the woman yes. at the West, marrying people, you know, when he yes. kind of broke the area, you know, and then she ended up bringing in the whole group of people by herself so you know jesus he obviously you know because they 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 didn't interact to my knowledge at all very good very good that's a very good example good stuff good stuff all right let's go on so i want you to listen to this video and then i want to hear your responses to what you hear from out of the mouth of someone that we all are probably very familiar with by the name of ricky smiley so let's go ahead and hear what he has to say and then get your response bill hewley said Black church is the gayest place on the face of the earth. It literally really? is. It is. I don't go, but yeah, I mean, I would imagine. You go to black churches, it's women, children, and gay dudes. It's women who are going to pray for a man, children who got, got to go with their women, and a lot of dudes who are praying the love of, love of dick out of their hearts. I'm just, they, they just, I think that they're, <laughs> it's, I'm, I'm serious. It's just like, it is, it's there, uh, you know. You will hear these things, and, and it just, you it can't argue with what you see. Well, I'll, I'll... All right, so let's pause there. How would you answer D.L. Hughley's, um, his statement there? What would you say? Now, before you answer, remember what we did last week. How would you give an apologetic response to someone? I'm I would first ask them, what made you think that it's only gay men in church? <laughs> Very good. Very good. Okay. All right. Krista, did you have um, something? I was agreeing with him, but that's true. You're asking the questions. What I would say is, you know, I could think of that quickly. Okay. <laughs> what would I ask him? Um, you know, why, why would you say that, you know, and why were women going to church just to pray for their men? You know, what, what, okay. why did you come to that conclusion? Okay. Kathy. I would ask him, what proof do you have to support what you just said? Very good. Very good. Anybody else? Same thing. What proof? Um, do you I would ask him. Oh, just acknowledge you don't go to church. Where are you getting this observation from, bro? Like, there we go. There we go. There we go. He he gave us that. And he's like, I don't go. But, you know, it's like, well, <laughs> how do you know then? <laughs> you know. <laughs> 
you know? So, but again, that is the reason why asking questions reveals the flaw in his own argument. So you don't have to think of a response. You're, it, it brings the, the, the ridiculousness of his own statement out without you having to think of an, uh, you know, a response. You just, you know, letting him do it on his own. All right, anybody else? I agree with, with you all, because sometimes people, they go by what, you know, they see in church instead of they go for themselves. Okay, very good, very good. All right, good. I, she, she's, she scared me for a minute because I thought when she said I agree with, I was like, well, I thought you was going to say you agree with D.L. Hughley. I was going to say, we might want to oh, no. look at your ordination. <laughs> no, no, you got a point. Hmm, All right, sure. part two, and then I want to hear from some of y'all that have not spoken up yet. All right, here we go. This is um, D, uh, Ricky Smiley. I don't know about that. Well, I don't, I don't know about that or, or whatever, but I tell you what, uh, I really, I, I'm really questioning some of the Bible stories, and I think some of that stuff in the Bible is, is set up to train black people to be submissive to systematic racism and white supremacy. That I believe. That explain, I definitely, explain you know, that. Turn the other cheek or whatever. People don't mess with nobody that fight back. People do not mess with nobody that fight back. Black people have been taught to forgive and turn the other cheek for 400 years. And what have what, what has changed? Nothing. Nothing. Well, I mean, the, the Bible and the church were used as a means of control. I believe that. Times. I really believe that. Well, the first black uh, aristocracy was the preachers, right? Uh, probably. Right. I mean, the preachers were given more power during slavery times because they kept the blacks in line. And they I were given believe certain, that. you know, extra. I totally, I totally believe that. All right. So I'm interested to hear, for those of you that have not spoken up, how would you respond to these claims made by uh, DJ Vlad and uh, Ricky Smiley? What are your thoughts? Jessica, unmute because I want to hear you too. Mm -hmm. I, I know y'all names. So Richard, I want to hear from you. Um, who else is in here tonight? Now don't start unmuting your cameras or, or changing your cameras out. Uh, I want to hear from y'all. Brittany, um, somebody, uh, so get, get, talk to me. Jermaine, I'm going to let you go in, um, but I want to see if I can hear from some. I'm going to let you go, and then, um, Jermaine, you go ahead, and then I want to hear from somebody else I haven't heard from. So here's your opportunity to uh, to get your stuff together. All right, go ahead, Jermaine. I can wait. I can wait. No, I like to talk. talk. Yeah, I'm giving them an opportunity to get their thoughts in their head together. I'm giving them I'm giving them an excuse to stall. Y'all know how in church, you know, they get the person with the microphone, and they say just, you know, and, you know, they be trying to act like they, it's like, we know you stalling. Just say you stalling. Don't lie to us. You know, anyway, go ahead, Jermaine. Uh I, I'd be like, Mr. Ricky Smiley, now this this is a really good joke. You know, you, yeah. you funny. This one is really funny. Um, sir, please explain <laughs> uh, where the stories are coming from. If they're made up stories, who's the author? Who's authoring these stories? I would start there. <laughs> um, when you say he was authoring these stories, elaborate on that for me, my brother. If, if his, his whole definition coming from the dynamic is these are made up stories. Well, somebody okay. would have in those stories for them to make them up. That's that's really good, man. That's really good. That's really good question. All right, good stuff. But brilliant, very brilliant. Evans and then somebody new. I, I think Jermaine took it out of my mouth, man. So um but that's I what people say all the time. Also, um, I say I would I'm just I also ask um what historical evidence do you have that the Bible is written by the white man? Pretty much. Okay, very good, very good, very good. All right, Jessica, what do you think? 
I would start with asking him the very scripture that you're talking about, turning the other cheek. Have you read it for yourself? Have you read that that chapter? Do you have a clear understanding of why that was even there? Um, and do you believe the same way that you believe it's been used against Black people? Do you feel like maybe this context, this uh, scripture has been taken out of context and is being used incorrectly? My very brilliant, my sister. Very brilliant. All right, good stuff. All right, so uh, Pastor Shelley. Well, Chaplain, my I've not planned. I won't play the you know the enemy's advocate, but I, didn't you say it's okay if, if we don't acknowledge some of this um, to be true? Then it's like you know. You know, even if I understand the approach, but I guess I'm the one that would be more or less like, that's why I said, he has a point. He has a, there's some validity to what he said. And okay. I feel like the approach, even with all of them, when, when the other one, you know, came forth with the white man's, you know, there's some truth to it. You know, there's mm -hmm. some validity to it. And I, I feel like my approach is not necessarily to agree with them, but it's, it's I'm doing the sympathetic. I understand. I, I understand how you feel. It's one of those things. Now let me. Can I take you to the word, and then let's see how we can do that. I, I feel like so. It is almost like when I hear, "Where'd you get that from? Why you know? Why did you? Why are you thinking that? Where um you know when I start hearing all the questions, what do you mean by that? Or what? How did you come to me? That's almost like a, a an aggressive approach. I'm the person that goes, oh, I, I get you, I feel you, I feel you, I understand. Oh my, it's you true. There's some truth to that. Okay, it is. You go Very to church, good. so that's the way I see it. And then I feel like now I can say, now what makes you say that? Where you get that, Ricky? I mean, where you now? But if you don't acknowledge, you just said before, if whoever that man was just said, we don't acknowledge it. Then, then we pushing it off like everybody else. You, you saying, oh, ain't no color, ain't no, you know, just preach the gospel. No, we have to acknowledge in order to win them, to even, you know, to feel like they're on their side or even, or give them some validity to what they're saying, being heard. Yeah. Like you said, yeah. I get yeah. you. That's my approach before I throw the question out yeah. because mm -hmm. with everything he said, I was like, mm -hmm, yeah, 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 that's true. Now, now that that will get you some extra credit on your paper. Ah, that's a standing <laughs> ovation response right there. Very, very good. Um, and some of the things that he said were valid. Um, some of the concerns and issues that he addressed were valid. And so I think it is a very appropriate and, and uh, impactful way of starting and saying, hey, brother, I think that there are some valid uh, concerns um, that you have, and then you can come back and, and but uh, it's not legitimizing, it's validating the concern that a person has, but you don't have to agree to validate how a person feels. All right, that's one of the things they teach us in the chaplain corps. I can validate your perspective and how you feel without agreeing with it. Um, I But I understand why you feel that way based upon how our community has been impacted by the transatlantic slave trade and so on and so forth. Um, that So very good um, approach. So again, this is what this class is all about, is that safe space to find your particular approach and be able to practice it and put it into effect before you walk into a situation where it's it's it's, it's go time. All right, so very good, Pastor Shelley. I applaud you um, for bringing that up. Anybody else before we move on? All right, Richard, you've been quiet tonight, man. You next. You in you in the shoot. All right. All right, so here we go. So um, I love this from Bishop Desmond Tutu. He says, I don't preach a social gospel. I preach the gospel, period. 
the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is concerned for the whole person. When people mm -hmm. were hungry, Jesus didn't say, now, is that political or social? He said, I feed you because the good news to a hungry person is bread. And the task of the urban apologist should be to show that Christ and the gospel has much to say about issues such as economics, health care, hunger, energy, homelessness, and immigration. It presents a Christianity that is concerned with human flourishing as it is with doctrinal orthodoxy. That word orthodoxy means right teaching or correct teaching. So it's concerned with the entire, what is the Bible says? I, I come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. Jesus Christ didn't come just to save our souls and then want us to live in hell on earth. He wants us to flourish while we are here on earth. Now that does not mean that there will not be some suffering that comes as a part of the Christian walk. But it does mean that God is concerned about the issues that impact us and affect us. And the Bible has a great deal to say about that. And many of you have brought that out um, in your papers. So um, no set of issues is more intrinsic to the identity of minorities than, uh, so, than the O's associated with the fight for liberty and justice for all. Historically, the language of equality has been the most effective vehicle used by leaders for connecting the, uh, to the hearts and minds of urbanites. And so we want to find out, hey, when we see oppression, when we see police brutality, when we see a lack of economic empowerment um, and, and wealth in our school systems, when we see practices and things that are um, completely different in our community as they are in other communities, these are issues that we want to talk about. And if those things are never addressed in a um, hermeneutically sound um, position from the pulpit, then we lose credibility with the people that we're preaching to. All right. Mm -hmm. The Bible has a great deal to say about that intentionally. And so our job, our responsibility is to utilize those scriptures in context to speak to the work, to the people in the present situations that we are dealing with. All right. So um, remember last week we gave you uh, the five different things that must be present in a person's worldview in order for it to make sense. Can anybody give me one of them? These were the five things that a person's worldview, no matter what their religion or worldview was, it had to answer these five questions. Anybody remember what any of those were? Go ahead and unmute. Where I'm going. Very Where good. That's destiny. So number one is destiny. All right. Well, that's the last one. All right. Very good, Jermaine. Somebody else. Who I am. Brittany, say again. Who I am. Who am I? Identity. Very good. That's another one. Somebody else. Why am I here? Why am I here? Purpose. Very good. That's number three. Or that's three of them. Origin. Origin. How did I get here? All right. So Where we got origin. Um, so we got origin, identity. We've got meaning. We've got destiny. There were um one, there was one more. Meaning. Uh, we got that one already. It's another one. Starts with M though. Morality. Morality, very good. And morality, what issue? Somebody explain that for me. How you should live your life. How you should live your life. What is the standard for what is good and evil? If it's not God, then who automatically, if it's not God that gives us the standard for what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil, what is the automatic default? If it's not God that gives us that standard, who else does, Who? Uh, where does it come from? Satan. That's a real question. <laughs> That's a real question. If it's not God that gives us our objective standard for morality and what is right and wrong, where else do we get that standard from? The Bible or Jesus? No, um, well, that's God. So if it's not God that gives it to us, what's the what's the only other option? 
you have man, like man the of the rule, you know, tearing tear, tear, all these different beliefs. Who's right? And then you have these cultural classes. There clashing. you go, Jermaine. Very good. If it's not God that tells us what's right and wrong, it's us deciding for ourselves what is right and wrong. And then we get into the subjective battle of one religion believes this and another religion believes that. But without God, there is no objective standard for what is right and what is wrong. Very good. So those are the five issues that impact everyone. All right. Those um, that you all identify. These six issues are ones that are more distinct within urban communities. All right. So let's look at them. Number one is economic fairness. All right. If there is the the wealth gap, um, it is it is a statistical fact that white families on average make 10 times more than people of color. Mm -hmm. So why is that? So there is there economic fairness. Why is there an economic gap between other communities and our community? All right. Number two would be educational equality. Maybe some of the reason that people turn to crime and turn to uh, you know other things that are evil and not all right is because they don't have the same level of education and educational opportunities that people have in other communities. You have better teachers, you have better um, um, uh, school facilities to learn in, you have safer schools to learn in and safer communities to learn from. You have iPads and, and digital tablets in your school, whereas we're still reading out of books. Why is there an educational disparity in some communities versus others? These are issues that deal with in urban communities. Number three is immigration reform. What do we do with people who um, are not in this country, but are from other countries where there is oppression, where there is poverty. What do we do with those people? The Bible speaks a great deal about this, particularly in the Old Testament, where if someone came into the land, even if they were a runaway slave from someone else, you could not send that person back. The Bible dealt, deals with immigration a great deal, particularly in the, um, the minor prophetic books um, in the scripture and even in the Mosaic law. So again, immigration is not just something that popped up in the 21st century. This is something that was dealt with even in the day and times of the, uh, of the Bible. Number four, the sanctity of life. I was just talking with someone about this the other day, um, abortion and the sanctity of life. How does the Bible speak to these issues? Um, Bishop Bell, I wanted to really uh, go that, but we, we ain't going to do that. But um, I believe with all my heart that the Bible speaks to the sanctity of life. So what does the scripture say about this particular issue and how does that impact for, for, for those of you, all of us, but particularly uh, our female sisters that are on here on today? How do we give people a biblical worldview when some people really firmly believe my body, my choice, and no one can tell me what to do with my body? Again, these are issues that are impacted in our community. Um, number five, women's rights, right along with that, um, uh, uh, you know, that particular issue, no further uh, need. And then religious liberty, the uh, ability and autonomy to believe what it is that you believe. So again, these are issues that are primarily impacted in our unique and distinct um, community. Any questions on that um, prior to moving on? Any questions or concerns? All right, we're getting there, y'all. All right, so let's look at some of the things that the Bible has to say concerning these issues. Number one, we have pure uh, uh, James 1 and 27. Let's look at what it says. James says, 1 and 27, pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this. Look after orphans and widows in their distress. 
I love the Bible. I love when it does this. It's like, hey, look, it doesn't talk about where you worship, um, whether you speak in tongues, whether you prophesy or not. It's like, no, look after the oppressed. Look after people who ain't got parents. Look after widows who have lost their husbands. And in those particular days, it was the husband that was primarily responsible for taking care of the family. So what about these people? You can't even preach to, to them. You don't tell me about your God until you're taking care of people in their basic necessities. God is dealing with people who are in oppressed uh, states and, and look at the, what the scripture says, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Righteousness and justice. I believe Sandra, this was in uh, her paper, your paper. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. If you think about the pillars that hold up the throne of God, one worship, it's righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. God is always going to do what is right and he is going to do what is just because he is the definition. He is the embodiment. He is justice. He is the standard for righteousness, for faithful love and truth go before you. All right. The one Deuteronomy 27 and 19, the one who denies justice to a resident alien. We talk about immigration. The one who denies justice to a resident alien, a fatherless child or a widow is cursed. Look at the um, the care and the attention to detail that the Bible speaks about when it concerns people who are in less fortunate conditions. This is the heart of our God. Righteousness, justice, widows, orphans, resident aliens. Not, you know, again, uh, I, I think the, the Bible is uh, it's very clear. And again, this is the quote that I was talking about. The cults are the unpaid bills of the church. The reason that we have a lot of these Hebrew Israelites Five percenters, um, black Muslims, and, and different things like that is because people in urban communities had questions. And one of the main questions for us is our identity was stripped of us and where we come from, our people, our culture, our dignity was stripped of us from the transatlantic slave trade. We don't know where we come from. And so if you can give us dignity by telling us a lie, but that lie makes us feel good about who we are, then people flock to the lie because it was appealing. People flock to the lie because it made them feel like their dignity was being affirmed instead of being stripped away from them. And because no one had uh, uh, Bible-based, Christocentric uh, or Christ-centered res gospel responses to those issues, people began to run and call themselves the nations of gods and earth. People began to run and say that the black man is God. People began to exalt um, our, our skin color instead of exalting the name of Jesus. And again, because people did not pay those bills, and answer those questions, now we got to deal with the Hebrew Israelites taking scripture out of context. And so we must take on the responsibility of this generation of being the ones who will say, I will do my part to answer the questions that need to be answered. And if I don't have them, I'll take a class from Elder Betton. I'll take a class from Bishop Bell. I'll call a Bishop Betton. I'll call a Bishop Pleasant. I'll call my pastor. I'll do the research myself and find an answer to these questions, but I won't just leave it alone and tell people, oh, you believe what you wanna believe. No, we have the responsibility to give them an answer for the hope that lies in us. Because the Bible gives answers, we just have to be people that are diligent enough to seek them out. Amen. <laughs> Amen, all right. So, um, and again, uh, here are those five answers again for people in it. Uh, again, who am I? If I don't know where I come from, if I don't know what people I originate from, 
how do I answer the question as a person in the urban community of who I am? Where did I come from? I really, I don't know if many of you have done it. I want to take that Ancestry.com um, thing and send in my DNA because there's a part of me that even though I am submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, I don't lose my ethnic identity as a black man. I want to know where my people came from. Um, you know, we got a family reunion coming up this year in July, and I want to look back and be able to um, share with my family, hey, I did the research, and I want to know where I came from. Where am I going? What is best for the Black community? What does it, does Muslims, um, do Israelites, do uh, does the church, who has the answers that are needed for the issues that arise in Black communities? And then again, how do we achieve what is best for our community? I believe with all of my heart that the Bible gives us um uh, really good answers for these questions, um, but it is people taking the onus upon themselves, ourselves, to be able to provide reasonable um, um, answers to people about these particular questions. All right. So this is the the last slide, and then I, I, I want to. We have lots of time. We got over forty five, about forty five minutes um, to take your questions, um, to engage in great conversation. But I want to um, give you some. Um, some really good reading. So we've already talked about urban apologetics. Now, for those of you that are looking for um, a work that would do good on like slavery in the Bible, uh, listen here. When I tell you, is God a moral monster? That is, I mean, that is a top 10 book. The way he went into, uh, the, if many of you have seen my series that I did on slavery in the Bible, I would say about 65% of the research for that work came out of that particular book. He deals with that. You know, many people have uh, like seen the God of in, in the Old Testament. It seems like really harsh. And some of the passages that you read are like, my God, like what in the world was going on in the Old Testament? It just seemed like God and the people of Israel was just wilding out. And God just telling people it's like genocide. God just went in there and told them, kill everybody. Don't, don't leave nobody alive. Kill the women, kill the children. And this book really deals with why would God tell people to kill women and children of a particular group of people? So he really, Paul Copen really does a great job in going and answering um, questions like that. Um, matter of fact, I think I actually have the PDF. Jessica, please remind me, if I have the PDF, I'll stick that in your folder um, and give it to you for free. That is a, an incredible work. And if I have it, I'll make sure that y'all get it for free. All right. Um, delighting in the Trinity. If you're looking, um, I was looking for a church here. And, and went into a church that I found out was apostolic, that did not um, you know, believe if you're not baptized in the name of Jesus alone, um, then you're not saved and different things like that. So this book, if you're looking to understand more about why God has to be, not just that he is, but why he has to be triune in nature, um, this book was just absolutely phenomenal um, in that. And then uh, my brother, Elsie uh, uh, Thunder Larson, if you know someone who is Seventh-day Adventist and you're looking for um, something that really speaks to that particular religion, his book is absolutely phenomenal. Um, and then last of all, Tactics. Um, in the larger work that I did on apologetics, I gave you all the condensed version, but in the larger work, um, uh, Tactics, he does a really, really good job. Uh, and I know I have that one. So again, Jessica, please remind me. I'll stick that in your folder if I haven't already. Um, I have the PDF of that. Um, so again, I'm trying to load y'all up. I'm, I'm giving y'all hundreds of dollars of, of, of information in books because I want you to be equipped. And now it's on you to read it. It's on you to go and do the research, um, you know, and everything. And a lot of it is presented right there. All you got to do is open up your Google Drive and uh, and look it up. And somebody say amen. Hey, look, Kathy got hers. He already got her copy. All right, good stuff. Did you read it? Yes, part of it. All right, praise the Lord. <laughs> All right, good stuff. 
Um, yes. So that's that's really it. Does anybody have any questions on any of the content that we went over tonight um, or anything like that? Um, I, I, this is we got plenty of time. I want to honor your time and then we'll go from there. What are your questions? I have a question. Um, well, I was um, I would. Uh, can you touch up on the um, what it means um, when when people think about urban apologetics or when we think about when we say Black Lives Matter, social justice, some people automatically think we're part of like, you know, the woke movement. Can you provide like a clear definition of what it means, what it mean by that? Because some people, I believe, have a, um, you know, different um, perspective of what we mean as Christians, what it means to be woke. Yes. Um, I actually want to see if I can, I'm actually developing a, uh, give me one second. Um, I think I actually addressed that. Let me see if I put that in these slides already. Yep, boom. There, there, man, look at you, bro. You finna, you finna bless the people, Evans. Uh, all right, so let me share my screen and then you all will be able to see this and we'll be on the same page. All right, can everybody see that? Yes. Okay. All right. So um, when we talk about uh, what it means to be a woke Christian, um, I was very, very skeptical when I heard this term at first. And so like any good person, I went and, and, and researched it. And I went to a conference, a woke Christian conference. It was actually called Conscious. Matter of fact, it's where I got this t-shirt, Conscious Christianity. Um, I went to the, uh, the conference in um, Houston, Texas. Um, at a church there. And I listened. That was the first time I heard uh, Pastor Eric Mason. That was the first time I seen Damon Richardson um, in person. I met Pastor Jerome Gay, who wrote the book on, um, um, uh, what's the name of that book he wrote, Evans? Um, the Whitewashing of Christianity. Yes, The Whitewashing of Christianity. That's one of the, the books I'm definitely going to do a, a teaching on. Um, and they spoke to this, and I seen him deal with this particular slide. So um, from a Christian perspective, this is what it means. Thank you, Kathy. She's got the book. It's again, it's phenomenal. Um, yes. This is what it means when we're talking about what it means to be woke from a Christian perspective. So first, Ephesians 5 and 14. Um, so he says here, for what makes everything visible is light. Therefore, it is said, get up sleeper. That is where the term woke comes from, from being awakened to your salvation and rise up from the dead, not uh, physical death, but spiritual death. And Christ will shine on you. So the first area that we must be woke in is woke to and awaken to our need for salvation. What does the Bible say in Ephesians? It says um, that we were dead in our sins and trespasses. So the first thing that we must be awakened to is our need for salvation. Does that make sense so far? All right, so the first thing, all right, next one is personal. All right, pay careful attention. This is the next verse then to how you live. So the next thing we must be awoken to is our lifestyle. How does our lifestyle um, look to uh, to the world and, of course, to God first? But what is our standard for living? How is our lifestyle? That is the second thing that we must be woke to. Third would be relational. All right. Jesus says here in Matthew 25 and 35. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat, thirsty and you gave me something to drink, stranger and you took me in, naked you clothed me, sick you took care of me, prison you visited me. And the righteous will say to him, Lord, when did we do this? When did we hungry and we fed us? You know, so on and so forth. And he says, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. 
Can I say this to you in love? In the church, we have a really good tendency of going hard to take care of the bishop, of going hard. We develop entire departments to make sure we take care of the pastor. But how much of our time, how much of the uh, the income and the ties and offering goes to prisons? How much of it goes to clothing people in our communities? Have you done a food drive? Have you done a clothing drive? Did you give out masks during the pandemic? Did you give out hand sanitizer? How much of it went to the least of these, not people with collars, not people with titles? Again, how much of what we're doing, this is what impacts the community. And if they don't see us doing this, they don't want to hear what you got to say on those Sunday morning when they ain't got clothes and they ain't got food in their community and their kids is going to school in poverty and in poverty conditions. They want to know, are you awakened to the relational need for meeting the basic necessities of your brother and sister? Somebody say amen. Amen. All right, I know y'all microphones is muted, but y'all, like, I need some feedback right there. I was starting to feel that, Sister Sandra. All right, so... Then social, y'all stop laughing at me. We on camera. It's being recorded. All right. Next one. All right. Learn to do what is good. We read this one. I'm not going to beat the dead horse there. Zach Zechariah 7 and 10. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the resident alien, the poor. Do not plot evil in your hearts against one another. Acts 7 and 34. I have seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. One of my favorite scriptures in the Old Testament where it talks about how God could never um, sanction or endorse slavery is God was like, he wouldn't allow the people of Israel to enslave people. And he constantly told them this in Exodus. He was like, how are you going to enslave people? And you just came up out of slavery. If anybody should know what it, the reason and understand why you shouldn't enslave other people and why a slave market was not even allowed to be had in Israel, is because they were slaves. So how are you going to turn around and enslave? That would be like black people starting to decide they want to own people after everything that we went through. That would be the most ludicrous you know, type of mentality, particularly because of what we have been brought out from. And then last of all is eschatological, which uh, in here in 1 Thessalonians, he says, so then let us not sleep like the rest, but let us stay awake and be self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, but those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled and put on the armor of faith and love and the helmet of the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. The last thing that we need to be woke to is the eschatological, the end times understanding of what happens to us at the Lord's return, what happens to us after we die. This is what it means to be a biblically woke Christian. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. All right. You know, preachers give long-winded answers to short questions. Bear with me. All right. All right. <laughs> Any, any, I got to finish this slideshow, man. That, that's fire, if I must say so myself. Credit to Pastor Eric Mason and Pastor Jerome Gay for this. Um, I took this from them and developed this into this slideshow. So when this goes on YouTube or podcast, don't nobody think I done took credit for their work. All right. Um, so, yeah, I got to finish that slideshow. That, that's pretty good. All right. Um, what other questions? What other questions do you have? We're talking apologetics. So does anybody have um, a specific question, for example, something that um, either you had a, a different mindset about or something that you've seen, um, whether it's online or you know, in, in social media, et cetera, that, that 
we could talk about, you know, amongst each other, or if you want to give an answer to. I, I guess I got one, Bishop Kevin. Um, what do we say to, uh, and no disrespect to any traveling people on the line, but we got some of those who are, I guess, Greek, and then, you know, the Masonic, Masonic, I don't even know if I'm saying Messianic. it right. Yeah, that right there. So, um, uh -huh. um, are they in the body? Are they in the kingdom? Like, how do I, how do you approach them? You know, because I don't even know what their doctrine is. I can kind of care less, but would that be considered a cultish? You know, uh, when they you say Greek, are you talking about sororities? Both, both sir. So, both yes. And then yeah, with the Masonic, are you talking about Masons? Both. Both. Yeah. Okay. If you don't mind, be clear. Both. Oh, don't mute your mic now, Bishop Bell. Go ahead. <laughs> Y'all see that? Y'all see what he did? He tried to throw that off on me. We, we where they do that at? Oh, you talking about Masons? All right, go ahead, Elder Ben. Yeah. No, no, bro. Go ahead. Well, so, so here's the thing. Um, for example, we'll start with Masons. Uh, as with a lot of these um, different things like that, those a lot of the people who are in the lower levels, if you will, really don't have a clue. Uh, of the dangers and some of the um, dangerous practices that go on as you go up into those ranks. Um, a lot of these people who mm -hmm. sign up for them and, and you know, they, they meet these people in college, for example, mm -hmm. and told that, you know, hey, you, you connect with us, uh, you're going to have connections for life. And mm -hmm. they do. Um, you know, they look after each other. Um, you know, there's a camaraderie. There's, there's, you know, a brotherhood and sisterhood, if you will, on these lower levels that often don't really dive into some of the deeper, um, more troubling practices and aspects um, that go on. And so when you ask the question, are they in the faith? Um, I could not sit here and say, you know, anybody that's a Mason, for example, is not saved because, right. that, you know, that, that, would, that, would, that would be um, an errant statement. Um, there are people who uh, have genuinely given their life to Christ, who at some point, you know, was a Mason. I've seen, I've seen some elders in past years, uh, you know, wearing certain symbols, belts and stuff, you know, on their buckles. Um, I would say a lot of them have not been exposed to a lot of the error um, that, you know, those societies deal with. Same thing with the um, sororities. A lot of them, again, mm -hmm. it's about, you know, on the surface, uh, connections and, and camaraderie, et cetera. Um, but when you look at some, a lot of the things that they practice when you do a deep dive, um, mm -hmm. and I, I know Miss um, Titus, um, this young lady named Miss Titus to you, um, if you look up on, on social media, she's done recently in the last, I want to say half a year, um, several um, works um, dealing with that. And I believe it looks like Kevin's pulling up some stuff in the background. But um, yeah, so so from the standpoint of um, when you ask, are they saved? Uh, again, that one really doesn't necessarily um, preclude the other, uh -huh. but it's an opportunity to show them why they uh -huh. shouldn't be connected to. Yeah, I agree with everything that he said there. Um, uh, it was actually Miss Titus that uh, recommended these two books to me. Um, and I actually didn't realize they had the Kindle version. So I'm going to order it right after we get off of here. Uh, but The Secret Teachings of the Masonic Lodge, 
um, this particular one. And then there is this one here, reasoning from the scriptures with Masons. Um, again, so if you're interested, uh, Jermaine, in doing some further research on that, um, then I would recommend those two books um, there as well. So um, everybody, this is an opportunity for you to chime in. Um, this is how we deal with those conversations. Number one, what does the Bible say is the requirement or the standard for someone being saved? What does the Bible say? Everyone should be able to answer yeah. this question. Romans 10, 9, heart. All right, Kathy, uh, I know you know, I want to hear from somebody else. Somebody raise your hand or something like that. Confess your sin and repent, Romans 10 to 13. Very good. Romans 10, 9 and 10 is the standard. Um, again, for if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, then you are saved. So that is the standard for what uh, the scriptural requirements for being saved. Belief in Jesus Christ um, and who he is and what he has done um, in paying the penalty for our sins. All right. So that is now. Can someone be um uh, deceived or uh, entering into a, a, a teaching or a particular group and organization that maybe they don't understand all of the different, um, the depth of the beliefs of that organization, the origins of that organization um, and different things like that, but still love Jesus and still be saved. I agree with Bishop Bell. Absolutely. Um, but I believe that once we come into the knowledge of the truth, we now become accountable to it. And so once I find out that something, um, its teachings, its origin, its practices are anti-Christ or anti the lifestyle of Christianity or the Bible, uh, have the responsibility of saying, I will do away with that. No matter what the letters are on my chest, no matter what I pledge, um, no matter what the brand is on my body, I belong to Christ first. And so I will not, I will do away with that. Um, because my loyalty is to Jesus Christ, not to a Greek uh, uh, organization. And that's just what I mean. I guess my question was save. I didn't mean like, you know, but I guess how do I win them with sanctification? You know, because it's, I got friends. And of course, one of them, like I said, he comes to the cathedral. He's very active. He's, he, and he's not no, no, right? He's a very high, <laughs> right? I don't want to say his name. Most of us probably know who I'm talking about, but you know. This is a very good friend of mine from years. So I'm like, how do I win this brother? And I know he has all this doctrine and, you know, yeah. I, I don't I, I would, um, you have questions about the word, you know, and but I can see it longer. Like you can see yeah. it on. Yeah, I would, um, I would play chestnut checkers. And so I would uh, do the research on it. And then I would ask questions. Hey, man, tell me about um, the Masons and what did they believe? What was their origin? How did they come about? Uh, what is their belief about Christianity and Jesus Christ? Brittany, I see your hand. I would ask them a bunch of questions to see if they know. And then I'm like, hey, and then maybe I'll come back next week and say, man, I really looked that up. That was really interesting. I found this um, in the teachings of the Masonic Lodge, though. What do you think about that? And, and ask them, now you haven't accused them. You haven't said that, no, this is incompatible. You're asking them. And now they have got to wrestle with that in their head and really decide, hey, is this worth investigating? And what do I do now with this information that I have been given? I like it. Make sense? Yep. Yeah. Right. You so, Brittany, you uh, had your hand up a couple of times. Uh, I want to honor you. What, what you got? Um, just speaking from the Mason point of view, my grandfather was actually a Mason. Um, I don't know the depth of, you know, how deep he was into it. I know he was a high-ranking one. Um, in the community they were in in Texas, you know, my family is well-known in that area. And he was, you know, one of the head ones. Like I said, he was devoted to the church. He would give to the widows. He would just be active in the community. 
and you know growing up that's what I thought it was about you know as far as being there and just being available and being that that vessel that people can come to when they need help and I'll never forget one day I was about maybe five or six and we were coming back home late at night from visiting his dad and a cop pulled us over now you know they wear their ring on the left hand so when the cop it was a white cop an older white cop so he came up to the truck or whatever and he was talking to my granddad and he was saying you know sir you were sleeping blah 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 and my granddad placed his he placed his hand on the windowsill and you know it just it didn't dawn on me back then but then as of course as I got older it made sense and then the cop was like, you know, he saluted him, whatever they do, and he let him go. So I don't know, you know, as far as, I know he had a relationship with God from what I saw, but I don't know the depth of that relationship in terms of being a Mason. Absolutely. Yeah. I definitely think there is, um, I believe that a person can be saved um, and still be attached or um, attached to the Mason. But again, I think a lot of it is just, um um, ignorance in the sense of not being informed, uh, maybe of all of this. But again, I won't uh, speak dogmatically on it because it's something that I am not educated on as well. So I would not dishonor um, anyone by speaking on something that I don't know of, uh, more about. Pastor Shelley, thank you, Brittany. Yes, that was good. As, uh, my father as well was um, um, in into masonry as well, and I believe he made it up to what most worship most worshipful master or something like that and when he got to a certain point he was convicted holy spirit and he was you know he grew up in um uh, more of a baptist environment which it was very popular and cultural but he he felt the conviction that this is not right most worshipful master and and he knew that with things and principles of stuff that didn't line up with the word even though it was scripture based you know uh they, they had they had to do a lots of things scripturally but it just he is something I, that's why i said that's <laughs> where holy spirit again at some point should be convicted. able to you know um be able to yeah. But, you know, I wanted to talk about the approach, whether it's Mason, whether it's, it's Greek, whether it's Jehovah Witness, you mm -hmm. know, anything Mormons, you know, I, I want to be able to get the approach and the concept down of what we're doing. And the challenge is to be able to, um, um, I, 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 like I said, I got the question part. I got all this stuff. So um, is it more based, more or less on us finding out more of what they're studying as well yeah, as, as trying, how do we, how, where's the balance of, cause I don't want to get caught all up into going into what they believe and then causing the debate of that. So my question, why are you laughing, Jermaine? I'm just saying, um, I'm agreeing with because, you. Sorry, I'm agreeing. because I've got people as well. I got Jehovah with me. I got Hebrew. I got everything and i want to know at to what point do we say okay let me go because like you said we need to be informed of it we can't debate nothing that we don't really know because they can yeah. they can return all that stuff around on us well how you know we are not because i well uh -huh. first of all i said because you're secret society and and the gospel is open you're a secret okay so if you can't tell nobody nothing that's automatically you wrong there but i'm saying I, I'm trying to figure out, like, Lord, you know, there's so many doctors. There's so much out here. How do we do this? When do we be able to defend? Do we just mostly study? What's the, the thing y'all said? Some studying y'all. Yeah, I got you. I, I think I understand where you're going. Um, so here's the thing: when a person is um, trying to 
um, understand and look at bills and see which one is counterfeit and which one is real, they don't teach them how to study the counterfeit. They teach them how to, they teach them every single detail about what the authentic thing looks like. So before you go or we go, um, learning more about Mason, Masonic, you know, Lodge, before we go learning about Jehovah Witnesses and delving into the lost books of the Bible and the pseudepigrapha and the, the apocrypha, know your Bible. Know your Bible backwards and forwards. Understand the words of scripture. Be able to do good hermeneutics. If you can't tell somebody and explain the Trinity, you don't need to be looking at the apocrypha. Okay? So know your Bible really, really well. Um, and then once you, we have gotten to a good mature um, level, then I think it's okay to start, you know, delving into examining some of these other works and different things like that. But know your Bible, first of all, because then I, I uh, was one of my favorite preachers, H.B. Charles. He said, we ought to have a, like an allergic addiction to false teaching. We ought to know our Bible so well that when we, um, you, you know, when you used to eating good food, you can't give me McDonald's when I'm used to eating, um, you know, uh, filet mignon and all this other good stuff. No, you got to do something different than Chick-fil-A. I love Jesus chicken, but if I'm used to eating fine dining every week, you can't just throw me some fast food and think that that's now going to, to give me a good appetite. So know the Bible so well, um, for instance, in that church I was telling you about, Soon as I heard them say, um, you know, they've met the requirements of being baptized in Jesus' name, I was like, wait, wait, wait a minute. The alarm went off in my head. I'm like, something, something, something ain't right. You know, soon as I, I was in one church in Texas and I heard them say, um, uh, God is the Father in creation, the Son in redemption, and the Holy Spirit in regeneration of the church. I was like, wait a minute, that don't line up with what I know about the Trinity. You know, so know your Bible well that that alarm goes off in your head um, and something ain't right when you hear false teaching. Amen. Bishop Bell, I know you got something I can, I can yeah, feel. I, I want to add into that because what you're saying is so key. Um, and it's an unfortunate truth uh, with many believers. Most, uh, and I don't have, you know, a, a formal study on this, but I can tell you most, most believers have not read the Bible uh, yes. in its entirety. Um yes. You know, and when you go from just being a lay person to many of you who are sitting on this call who are, um, you know, looking to be ordained or some have already been ordained, et cetera, um, you know, you don't, a, a, any, any field you go into, that person immerses themselves into the studies required for it. Um, you know, you don't expect a doctor, you won't go to a doctor who hasn't taken time to read his medical books. Yeah. You won't go to a, a psychiatrist who has never read, read the DSM-4 or 5. You know, you, 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 so how is it that we don't read the word and, but want to be able to, you know, um, know when someone's telling us something that's not in the word or that's contrary to it. You can't know the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit can't bring nothing to your remembrance. I think you said this early in class um, that you haven't given to your remembrance in the first place. Yes, uh, one sure. thing I encourage people to do, because uh, some people learn differently. So some may struggle with reading, you know, um, long term or, you know, reading for long periods of time. Well, many people, you know, if you like music, you how many know if you listen to a song over and over, you you learn it. Right. So, yeah. how, you know, they have the word in audio format. Listen yeah. to it. You know, when you go to the jail, instead of playing, you know, your favorite whatever, you know, whatever you listen to. Put that, put the word on, you know, play it at night, play it on your drive to work. Um, uh -huh. Let get into your spirit and, and, uh -huh. and you know, into your heart. And then 
once you get that foundation, I even encourage this, you know, when, I, when people are getting ready to go to Bible college or seminary, I really encourage people to study your word even before then, because you may encounter even in school, you know, some strange theology. And so it's important that you get a foundation for yourself of, of, of the truth of the word and, and, and the entirety of the Bible. So I want to challenge you, if you have not read the word in its entirety, make it your goal to do so. Um, so that you can have that foundation before you get into all these other things um, that you may want to refute. Very good. Very good. I agree 100%. Um, I did. I want to show you all this. And uh, if you got a question, um, uh, please give it to me. But I want to show you all you all's folder um, that's in here. I did find tactics, the PDF version of tactics, and I stuck that in you all's folder. So um, here is apologetics. So if you this is y'all student folder. Okay, so you can see here, here are the videos, here are the PowerPoints and everything like that. In this folder here, apologetic articles. I want you all to see how much stuff we have put in there for free. Um, again, all of this belongs to you and you can save it to your library. Um, and you can see, uh, I know I added tactics, tactics in there. Um, I thought I copied and pasted it, um, but I have it and I'm going to put it in there. Um, but there's a lot of great um, apologetics. There it is right there, Greg uh, Greg Kukul's tactics. Um, so again, open that up. It's PDF version um, and everything like that. And then boom, you have the book right there uh, in there for your reading. Again, uh, you know, a really phenomenal book. Um, and it's all kind of stuff that's in there. Um, so again, uh, please take advantage of that. Um, you don't have to read the entirety of every single book, but if there's something that one of them, um, you know, looking at again, like the Holy Quran and, you know, just different things, you know, go in there, take a look at it, find what you need to find, but there's a lot of stuff in there that will really uh, be beneficial for you. All right. Any other questions? All right, so let's do a review. Um, what is, somebody tell me what is, let's go back to uh, hermeneutics. What is hermeneutics? Somebody tell me what is hermeneutics? The art and science of interpretation. Very good. The art and science of interpretation. So tell me something uh, a little bit. Who was that, Brenda? Yes, sir. Okay, so tell me a little bit more about hermeneutics. Tell me about that. What does that mean to you? See, now ain't nobody going to want to answer no questions. <laughs> Phone a friend. Yeah, it's just basically understanding what you're reading, comprehension. Okay, very good. All right, anybody remember the different types of hermeneutics or different ways and um, different ones? Exegesis. Exegesis is part of hermeneutics. Okay, very good. Somebody tell me, what does exegesis mean? That's out. Extracting. Okay. Um, Deontay, go go for it. I heard you. I heard you, Brenda. Go ahead. Um, extracting stuff out of the word that you can use to you can use. All right, very good. All right, what else? Not um, just extracting stuff that you can use, but extracting the meaning, not just something that you can use, but extracting the meaning from the text. All right. So what would be the opposite of exegesis? Brittany Belcher. I had an I had it for X. Okay, go for it. Go ahead. Um, I was saying um, it's the act of explaining the text. Okay, very good, very good. So somebody else, um, uh, un unmute your mics, or I'm gonna call on you anyway, Jessica, um, Elder Terry Taylor. All right, what would be the opposite of exegesis? Exegesis. 
Eisegesis. So, uh, Richard Johnson, tell me about eisegesis. Uh, I believe that eisegesis is a lot of us explaining uh, from an emotional standpoint for how we we view things, and uh, we kind of get away from the main thing being the main thing. Okay, very good, very good. So also, um, we talked about the interpretive uh, process. There was four-step process in that. Somebody tell me, we talked about it tonight already, what is step one in doing hermeneutics? What's step one? Who's the author? Uh, that's kind of part of it. That's part of it. What else? Who were they talking to at that time? Okay, that's part of it. Now that's all incorporated within part one or step know one. Your time. Very good. Thanks. Examine the text in their town. All right. If you haven't wrote that down or got that yet, that is the most important part of interpretation. It is the most important part. It is the starting point. Please don't preach from a text if you don't understand what that text was saying to the original audience. If you don't know why Isaiah told them to do justice and to take care of the widows, if you don't understand who Isaiah was talking to, then please don't preach or teach or quote that particular scripture if you don't understand what it meant to its original audience. I cannot stress enough that is the most important part of hermeneutics, and it is the least followed. All right? So I hope you ain't submitted your paper and, and, <laughs> and ain't did step one. All right, Brittany. Um, I was just reading something last week about, you know, understanding the worldview and understanding your audience. I did not know that in Bangladesh, when they, you know, okay, well, in the word, we say he stands at the door knocking, right? Mm -hmm. In Bangladesh, it's disrespectful to do that. So they believe that if a door is unlocked, you just come through it. Why are you sitting there knocking? So if we're trying to minister or we're trying to win a soul for Christ who is, you know, of that origin, we would have to know that. Absolutely. And it can be, um, there are several examples, and I don't want to get too far into it, but there are several examples of what we call cultural idioms, all right, I-D-I-O-M-S, cultural <laughs> idioms. Um, here's an example. It's raining cats and dogs. So mm -hmm. if I say it's raining cats and dogs and you go look up cat and dog in Greek, it's going to tell you it's a four-footed beast. But that's not good exegesis. If you don't understand that it's raining cats and dogs is a cultural idiom, then you're going to think that I'm saying something completely different than what I'm actually trying to intimate. So I will give you the keys to the kingdom. You'll run around thinking that there's literal keys that God has given someone to the kingdom. Um, you know, so it's different scriptures like that that are using cultural idioms um, you know, uh, and everything that if we don't understand the culture of that day and what it meant to the original audience, we'll use a westernized 20th century understanding of it and um, and misinterpret the scripture. All right. So that's step one. Understand the text in their town. All right. Mm -hmm. What's step number two? By now, y'all should have gone back into your notes and your PowerPoint. Measure the width. Measure the, the width of what? Of the river to cross. Very good, Captain Belcher. Tell me about that. What does that mean in your own words? Um, understanding the culture, language, situation, and time. In your own words. Mm -hmm. That's what I got. That's what I wrote. <laughs> look, look. So the interpretation of what she just said is, I said what I said. That's, that's, that's the interpretation of that. All right. Somebody else. Help uh, Sister uh, uh, Captain Belcher out there. 
What does that mean, uh, understanding the width of the river to cross? What is the river separating? What is the river separating? The river is actually separating um, what we know about their town and what's coming in, what's in our time right now. Very good, Deontay. We might ordain you this year, brother. We might ordain you this year. Very good. So what's the difference between them and us? All right. That's the width of the river. How big is the difference or is there any difference at all? Very good. What's step number three? The principalizing bridge. Very good. So you know what the next question is, right? So see y'all, bro? Discover the meaning, not create it. Very good. All right. What else? There's a little bit more uh, to that. Okay. Um, the example that you used, and we use this all the time, is Jeremiah 29 and 11. Um, he was talking to the exiles. So you have to understand what, what was going on at that time. And you know how we can cross that bridge from this meaning to that. Very I good. Got a, I got a good another note that you had said. Um, every element of the of the text may not apply to okay. us today. Very good. Very good. So, what do we do when that happens? Hmm, With the Bible silent, we should be silent. Very good, very good. If the Bible isn't speaking on an issue, then we don't speak on the issue. The Bible has a great deal, um, you know, but yes, um, definitely understand there. So we're looking for the principle in the text. What is the principle that will apply to the biblical audience and us? So again, that's the whole purpose of the bridge. The bridge is to help us cross the water, all right? So what connects their town and our town. That's what the principle, the principle is what connects their town and our town. So we've got to find out how was what God said in Isaiah 1 and 17, what he said in Micah 6 and 8 about justice. How does that apply now? What is the principle of that text and how it applies to us? And remember, the principle will always be timeless. It won't be something that's just tied to the biblical audience. It will be something that is applicable to everyone. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. All right. So last night, if you don't have a great understanding by now, please let me know. That's what we're here for. All right. Good stuff. Good stuff. And then what's the last step? Once we've got over the bridge, what do we do with the information that we now have? Apply if it's necessary. Very good. Apply it if it's necessary. We live it out. That's the whole point of understanding good interpretation is now that I understand what the Bible is saying, now it's time to go live it. Very good, Brittany. All right. So now we're going to apologetics. What is the key scripture from where we get the um, the word apologetics? Somebody tell me. It's, uh, the Jew. Uh, that's one of them. All right. You remember what it said in Jude, Jermaine? Something about their friends. You said, you said what? <laughs> Jude 1 and 3. 1 and 3. Uh, read it for me, uh, Brittany. I was going to have to unmute. Sorry. Dear friends, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was delivered to saints once for all. All right. So. Brittany or somebody else, what is Jude saying there? What is he, we can read it, but what is he actually saying when he says contend for the faith? What is he saying? To, to fight be for it, you gotta defend it. 
Absolutely. We got, I can't, you, you said it as plain as day. All right, Kathy, you have something you want to add or you want to be like Evans and say that she took your answer. Like Evans said, the main thing is. I was going to say, we have to be mature and prepared to defend the faith, to Absolutely. be able to stand up to anyone uh, and properly give them a correct hermeneutical study. Magnificent. Um, Magnificent. All right, good stuff. Uh, what is the other key scripture? There's one other key scripture that we discussed. Bishop Bell, did you have something you weren't trying to say? Okay, I saw the hand on there. Okay. First Peter 3 and 15. Very good. What does it say, Pastor Shelley? Be ready to give an answer. Uh-huh, very good. And, and there's another part on there. There's a there's a way that it tells us to give that answer that is, uh, you know, what did, what did it say? With meekness and fear. Yes, with Always meekness be and fear. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. But do this with gentleness and respect. All right, do it with gentleness. All right, very good, very good. Um, I had to apologize today. I was asking a question on Facebook and somebody said something that I took the wrong way and I, I, kind of, I didn't go in on them and just in a rude way, um, but my answer was not gentle. Um, and so I talked to Celeste and was like, hey, look at this. And, you know, Celeste is like the Holy Spirit. She's always telling me stuff I don't want to hear. And, you know, but it's always <laughs> the right thing. It's always the right thing. And like, oh, my God. You know, and so I had to go apologize and, you know, say, hey, my answer was correct, but it wasn't gentle. It wasn't respectful as it could have been. And so I had to go back and publicly apologize. So, yes, as Brittany said, that's maturity. That's conviction. And, you know, anyway. All right, Brittany. All right, Brittany. Belcher. Oh, I don't have anything. You had your hand up. Like, I didn't see you on camera. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. All right. What are the different types of apologetic saints? Classical. Classical. Tell me about it, Pastor Shelley. I approved existence with Bible. Okay. Very good. How to prove God's existence without the Bible. Okay. Very good. All right. What else? Historical. Historical, Kathy said, tell me about that one. Written evidence or oral testimonies. Okay, very good. Okay, all right, anybody else? The fideism, the fideism. Fideism, fideism. You remember fideism. what that was, Jermaine? Fideism. Uh, my basic interpretation is hermeneutics from the Holy Spirit. Numa, okay. Numa, numa. okay. By faith alone. By faith alone. Faith alone. It's, it's, it's God has to lead that person to um, to an understanding, you know, and different things like that. Very good. All right, good stuff. Anybody else? There was another one in there. What else? Experimental. Experiential. Experimental. Very good. Tell me about that one, Pastor Shelley. Personal. Very good. Personal, Personal testimony. testimony. Hey, is in my experience, this is what God has done for me. So I'm going to give you my experience um, as an apologetic. All right. Was there any more? Was that it? Somebody, y'all looking at the Presupposition. Very good. All right. Somebody tell me about that one. It's evidence that the speaker and the listener agree with from the word. Very good. Got to start with the word on the same page. And we, hey, before we start, we got to agree on the basic foundation, um, you know, that the Bible is true and correct. All right. And then last one, uh, last questions. What is urban apologetics? What is, you know, the difference between urban uh, regular apologetics and urban apologetics? Urban apologetics can speak to a social condition, something that's going on in the- Very good, community. very good. Anybody else? 
speaking to the challenges and barriers based solely on the urban community. Very good, very good, very good. Hey, um, um, that completes the class um, and, and everything like that, man. This has been just an incredible experience for myself. I have thoroughly enjoyed you all. You have been great students, attentive. Thank you for your papers, your time. Um, it has been just an absolute pleasure. I can't wait to hear Bishop Bell. I'm so doggone excited um, to hear the teaching that's gonna come from him. Um, I love to teach, but I will be a lifelong student. Um, I am always hungry um, for more of the word. So I'm looking to learn from him um, just in the same way that you know I'm learning from you all and you all are learning from me as well. Um, so if, again, if you haven't registered for that class, um, again, please make sure that you take care of that prior to our beginning in March. And I'll make sure that I send out a couple of reminder emails without um, spamming you all with a, a great deal of information. Um, Jessica will be sending out your certificates for completion um, of this course um, and everything. We will be checking to make sure that you've completed your homework assignments. Um, but more than anything, it's not so much about completing the work. It's about challenging you all and giving you an opportunity to actually put what you have learned into action. And I'm going to do the very best job that I can to give you um, good feedback and not just check the block. I read your paper. Um, I really want to, and some of you I've called and had conversations with in order to make sure that you understand where I'm coming from um, and everything. So again, if you have any questions, please let us know. Um, Bishop Bell, I want to turn it over to you for a final remark, sir. Well, let's just give a, a, a hand clap for, for Chaplain Benton. Uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed and do enjoy quality uh, teaching um, as he always provides. Uh, we are looking forward again going into the second phase of this training. It will be biblical systematic theology. Um, so, you know, I, I do challenge you to even beforehand begin to kind of look into it. Um, so that you can come into it with your own questions, thoughts, et cetera. Um, but we're looking forward to it. Um, we will be reaching out soon um, to confirm our, our starting date. I'm looking at the calendar now. Um, March kind of starts in the middle of the week. So we may either do that last week in February the 27th, just to, you know, to start, have a starting point or that following week, but it will let you know. Um, but you know, tell somebody about it. Um, there is time to register again if you if you have not already for the second course. Um, and we're looking forward to it. So um, again, be prepared, have questions, be ready to interact, um, be ready to be challenged, um, be ready to be encouraged. Um, before we close out, anyone have any statements? Anyone that want to say anything to um, to Chaplain Benton? Um, just, you know, your appreciation before we close out. Well, I want to, I, I, I'll open up, I'll start off and I want to say, um, I, I have been extremely challenged. Um, I went off of, um, you know, um, you know, accepting the Lord, you know, early in my life and going through my phase and going through different um, denominations from Pentecostal to Baptist or Baptist to Pentecostal to apostolic. I, I seem like I did it all, been through different um, and I constantly seeking, you know, the Lord and um, wanting, you know, just desiring to know the truth of his word. I was I consider myself one that caused problem at age of 14. And, you know, I was apostolic and we couldn't wear sandals. I said, didn't Jesus wear sandals? So I was considered the one that was, <laughs> as a little girl, always. 
I mean, really, I questioned God. I couldn't understand. I can't, you know, you know, I took off my pants, makeup, ear. I've been through all the doctrines of everything, even when, in, you know, just studied a little bit of Jehovah Witnesses, just little basic surface things. And I never was challenged to really um, um, go in depth of the words. You skip here and there and, and, and things like that. And then I, and, and like I was saying, you know, before the enemy was telling me, you know, I'm I'd be 55 in two months. I'm like, I can't retain this anymore. I can't get this. It seems like a lot. And I was very frustrated, but I found myself up literally two or three in the morning just studying. And I was finding stuff that I didn't even know, um, dealing with, you know, uh, Absalom, you know, David's son. I was like, oh, my God, this is good. And I didn't realize stuff just from digging. I went there and said, OK, now who are you talking to? And I was, you know, and frustrated. Then I found myself getting just feeling very intimidated, you know, and I'm saying, you know, Lord, I know, you know, the call is there, but I don't want to be. You know, um, 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 you know, I just don't want to sound stupid with the word of the Lord. And um, and yes, I am. I, I when I say Holy Spirit, because I, you know, but he's you got to study, like you said, to give him something to work with. But I have been very challenged um, and, and even through my um, intimidation of it, because, you know, it's just so, it's a lot of information. And I said, God, we just weren't taught this and didn't know. So I was feeling really. Um, insecure, but I thank God I feel better. I said, Lord, he gonna rip this paper apart. I, that's one reason why I was like, ain't none of it right. Ain't none of it. I ain't got none of this. And I kept going back over listening. I was like, I ain't got none of that in here. And I just couldn't, you know, but I just thank God. Um, I, I reached out to Bishop Bell at the time. He says, look, this, you know, this we're here to help. And that made me, you know, really feel better that it wasn't about, you know, this isn't about that. It's here to help. What are you getting? What are you retaining? So I appreciate you. I appreciate because I ain't lying. When when you caught on before I listened to your last class, I was like, forget it. I just threw all the notes right up out the window. You just went in. So you just went in. But you are an amazing teacher. Amazing. You are passionate about what you do. Um, you just you just go in. You just go in like a baby version of your dad. Um, no, you might be a little bit of him. You might be <laughs> you strong in a sense. But um, I thank you. I do. I'm challenged. And this has been awesome. I, I am um, going to use what I've heard. It, it has changed me. I already, even my sermon, as you will see, go back. It's different. I can tell it's different. I'm going to text you when I do have to. I can tell it's different because of what I've learned. So I've grabbed, I've grabbed some stuff, some good stuff. Thank you. I appreciate you. Love you, Pastor. Quick question for you, Bishop Bell. Um, is there any of the ologies that you're not going to hit on? Um, that because that's a loaded question because I, as as I mean, and I know why you asked it because there's so, so many. Um, and for those who don't know, um, what myself and Chaplain Benton are doing is what I you know what we regularly call a survey. Um, in that it just you know it's it's really difficult in a short time frame to load everything in but i'm going to do my best to um cover um as many as as possible and as pertinent um as possible um now again if there's something comes up that you just had to have a question about feel free uh i'm not gonna let anybody take me down a rabbit trail but uh <laughs> you know uh feel free please do have questions and uh we will we'll definitely cover them Anyone else for anything for Chaplain Benton before we close? Yes. Out? Yes, I, I like to say I, I'm, I'm, I'm very appreciative of, of him taking time to make sure that I do register and able to get a few, uh, get my uh, my paper in. Uh, 
But more importantly, I, I thank him for being able to take the time to uh, grasp a lot of the information that we need that we can track what matters. And I think tracking what matters is it allows us to be able to extrapolate a lot of the information and that we can put it into a certain context that we might also understand. Uh, 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 one of the things we talked about in early in, in the uh, lesson tonight was when Ricky Smiley spoke and he said some of the things that he had to say. I think that that was very important uh, to, to also think about um, uh, in Romans 12 and 19, where we understand that vengeance is God's. Not so much that we look at the violence part of it or that God will repay back in violence, but by being able to track what matters, we will also understand that God will raise us up and force that same enemy to watch you elevate. And by looking at a lot of the stuff that uh, Chaplain Beckman has put on these slides, you can be able to start seeing yourself elevate to that level that you may be thoroughly furnished into all good works and be able to handle the scriptures properly. Amen. Anyone else before we close out? Um, I did want to mention uh, Chaplain Benton. He is in the military like me. Um, and one thing that I appreciate, um, I'll be taking command in about two weeks. And um, it's just challenged me to be able to communicate with my soldiers um, in a way that's not, you know, making them feel bad, but open, having open dialogue when we're in the motor pool or when we're in the field or, and, and, and not making anyone feel bad. We can all have conversation, but it could be good conversation. Nobody's, um, how do I say it? Nobody is uh, making you feel bad for however your opinion is, but these are the facts. Here is the word. And I'm, and I'm able to bring my Bible when we're out there in the field, when we're out there, being bored at a certain period of the time and be able to just talk to them. Um, and, and that's what makes me feel good is uh, having some of that confidence. Of course, I have so much more to learn. I have more to study, but I do, I know that when I'm those, those moments when we do have downtime, I want to be able to have the opportunity to talk to these soldiers. Cause I, we, it's a lot. Some of these soldiers are, are coming straight from home, 18, 19 years old, and, and and don't know much, you know? And they have these perceptions about Christianity or, or, or about the Bible. And then they're talking, I, I hear the conversations in my office. They're talking to their battles. They're, oh, well, I don't think, and, and I wanna be able to walk in and say, well, listen, you know, think about this, or, or have you ever considered this, or what makes you think like that? You know, so that's what I'm, I'm, I'm happy about doing. I'm trying to transition into chaplaincy, but as I, before then, you know, right, right before I take uh, that, do that switch, at least I'll be able to have the conversations without. Amen, amen. That's good. That's good. Thank you, sis. Um, somebody asked a really good question. Uh, the link on the. Um, the thing expired to be able to register for the other classes. So I'm literally online fixing it now um, and everything. So it'll be active by uh, either by the end of the night or first thing tomorrow. And I'll email you all when it's finished. Amen. Uh, I don't see anyone else with, um, with their hands up. So we're going to go ahead and close out with this. Uh, so, okay. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Is these nine credit classes? 
Yes, the, you can't get caught. Right. We ain't got to the place yet where you can get um, credits for these classes. Credit. But right. pray for bro. pray for, pray for the K family. You know, maybe we can get the education department to that level. Right. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Anyone else? All right. So again, be looking for communication. Uh, someone did ask about if you've already paid the hundred and fifty dollars. Um, if you've already paid that uh, that amount, you are good to go uh, for all of the classes. So um, be looking for communication to be coming out in the coming weeks. Um, feel free to reach out to either of us if you have questions or something you know may have thought about after the fact. Um, what have you? Please feel free. Um, if all hearts and minds are clear, we're going to go ahead and close out in prayer. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you. We honor you. We bless you, God. We thank you, God, for this first phase, God, everything that you allow our facilitator, God, to pour into us. We pray, God, that we retain it. We pray, God, that we make application. We pray, God, that it be a foundation for us to continue to build on. That, God, that we will desire, God, to grow even the more, God, in your word and in the study thereof. And, God, as we prepare God, to go forth in the things that you've called us to do. Continue to strengthen us. Continue to bring to our remembrance, God, all these things that we are learning here in these classes. Continue to lead and guide us in your truth. And God, we thank you, God, that you have given us wisdom, God, and you've given us understanding, God, of your word. So God, we thank you, God. Let us find our homes, those that may have to travel better than we left. God, let our homes be blessed of you. Give us peace tonight as we rest. And God, let our week be blessed in all things. And God, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. amen. God bless each and every amen. one of you. Amen. amen. Love y'all so much. God bless you. Have a good night. Thank you. Thank good, you. Night. good night, everybody. Okay, we're going to stay on to answer questions and stuff. Uh, y'all got five minutes. Let me let me close this recording first.